They don't understand, they don't understand I'm running with the fam, yeah, I love the fam And we gon' serve the one that's from up above And they gon' know it's us by the way we love All my brothers and sisters and all my mothers and fathers And we gon' worship the father and we gon' drown in this water All my brothers and sisters and all my mothers and fathers And we gon' worship the father and we gon' drown in this water Family, family, family Christ died one time for my Welcome to Reformed Dads, where all things are for dads, through dads, and two dads, as well as the aspiring husband and father. I'm your man, Dusty Marshall. I'm a Christian husband, father, hip-hop artist, and co-founder of a regular for Christ Ministries. As who is with me this week, as always, my brother, Norm, the master's dog, Dunham. What's going on, brother? Yo, what's up, fam? How are we doing? I'm doing good. Good. Me too. All, all recovered from the Rona, so... We're like immune now. I'm like, like a super being, I guess. Now that the that the run is through, we got all those antibodies and immunities. I don't know, man. According according to whatever what article you read, you you are probably uh, you're immune for about six months, and then you become contagious again. I don't technically know how that works, right? But you know, we can always trust the CDC. <laughs> but you know, a vi- a vaccine is going to make you immune forever, or mm-hmm. not something right right yeah because the vaccine gives it to you and then you become immune you become but if immune. you but if you get it and you're become immune that doesn't work it's, it's only a little while i right. mean to the to the the point i did have chicken pox three times so I, wow. I think maybe I maybe I don't have a very good immune system. <laughs> I, I had chicken pox when i was five just a, a very mild case i had them again when i was 12 and then I had to babysit like every kid in the apartment complex. So everybody sent their kids to my house so I could babysit them so they could all get chicken pox. And then I got them again when I was 19 in the military. Maybe you can confirm this with me. I hear that there are parents that actually will send their young kids around some kids who have chicken pox to get it early get it. so it's not as bad is that is that true or is that just just no uh, that's, hearsay? that's true i mean that's I've, true because that, that, that's what happened when i was 12 it was like a chicken pox party norm has a chicken pox he's 12 years old he can babysit all our kids wow. i literally had like like 12 kids in my house all under the age of like nine now granted this wow. is like this is like 1986 so it was a when different it was okay yeah it wasn't okay with me I was not happy having to chase all these little punks around my house. Um, yeah. And I don't know if I even got paid for it. I, I, I <laughs> like, please give me something good. Wow. I just, got, I just got duped as the guy who had to babysit these kids, but yeah, it's something the parents will do. Um, I mean, I would love to, if, you know, if we have anyone in our church that the kids get chicken pox, I'll send Opal so she can get them. So, so she can get it done and over with. Yeah. You know, okay. Again, I'd much rather her have it and deal with it and be done with it than have to trust vaccines. Oh yeah. You know, just build up yeah. the immunity, and then if you're weak, weak of immune system like me, then you get it again later. But not. Did as you bad. at least? Did you at least ask those kids if they would scratch get, scratch your your chicken pox while they were there, so you didn't have to scratch them all? Oh no, that was that was like. I mean, I spent the entire time chasing them around going, don't scratch, don't scratch, ah. <laughs> you know, uh. because it was like, that was the bad thing to do. You do you're not supposed yeah. to scratch. I had, I, I literally wore mittens 
because huh. my, my dad was like, you can't scratch him. You know, he was like afraid they were going to get infected or something like that. You know, yeah. It wasn't so much just about the pock marks that they could leave. But my dad was like, you'll scratch them. They'll get infected here. Wear mittens. Wear mittens and, now, and now, watch now these the, 12 the, kids. <laughs> right. Now the image gets even more ridiculous because here I am, you know, babysitting 12 children under the age of nine wearing mittens, chasing uh. them around, trying to keep them. Yeah. I'm I'm wondering because there's some some people in our church that have chicken pox that live close to us now. I'm like, I don't know, like should, should we just get it get it out of the way and have like a really bad week or two, right. you know, or uh would we I mean, go missing for a month? What's what's gonna happen? Yeah, my only my only thing is, you know, just make sure that uh the wife is not pregnant. Because that's when you really want to be, you don't want to have, for whatever reason, I don't know the whole issue behind, but pregnant women shouldn't be around kids with chicken pox and stuff. So, okay. You know, okay. So make sure she's not pregnant and then, you know, get the kids chicken pox, get it out of the way and then go for the next uh, boy <laughs> in the Marshall house. Chicken pox party coming to a neighborhood near you. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> Well, brother, um, you know, I wanted to talk about something that you and I have been talking about off camera and in some of your other shows. Um, you talk a lot about this in one way or another, but um, I this week traveled to a church, Celebrate Recovery, and shared my testimony there and preached and did music. And this is a church that is connected to one of the churches that the church that I got saved at, which is a huge mega church out in the Las Vegas area. And let me just first say that I am grateful for that church. Initially, I am grateful for all that God didn't did through that church, the people there. I'm grateful for my brothers and sisters in Christ who are there. However, uh, there is very much a movement in America that's destroying Christianity in a sense, or, you know, we say God is using to judge his, uh, judge the church and judge those who claim to be Christian. And this movement is the idea that Jesus was this hippie loving person who cares nothing about law, who cares nothing about the commandments. He just loves everyone and everything. And he wants to knock on the door of your heart and accept you with arms wide open and he would never have something bad to say about somebody's sin life. And, uh, as a result of that church teaching and that vision of Jesus, we have the church in the state that it's in today. Right. Right. Yeah. It, it is, it's insane that the way that Jesus has been um, presented in many different churches uh, throughout the world, you know, and throughout mainly America. Um, and, and I would even say in the last 30, 40 years, as you know, they, they grab onto the verses that uh, say, you know, judge not lest you be judged. And then they don't look at anything else. <laughs> right. And, you know, and, you know, love your, by their, by our love, they'll know us. And that's a, a horrible paraphrase that I was hit with this week. But, um, you know, anything that causes anything that causes division in the church is bad. Is bad. Right? Exactly. And they right. that's divisive. Ignore, yeah. Yes. They completely ignore the words of Paul who says, 
literally in, in, in different places, mark those that cause division. Paul is saying name names, you know, point and Paul names names, you know, he goes through and he talks about, um, Demas and I can't remember the other names of the guys off the top of my head whose whose faith have been shipwrecked and who are false teachers and who you know bring division among those in the church. Right. Yeah, so Paul literally points out to us and says we need to name names, we need to mark those that cause division. And so yeah, it's 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 insane the amount of scripture that people are willing to ignore looking at how Jesus is, I mean, you know, Jesus point, he called out the Pharisees, you know, I mean, he called them whitewashed tombs. He, you brood of vipers, you, you know, you strain at a gnat, you, you know, you let go a camel, right. You know, it's just like, um, Jesus was very, um, What's the word I'm looking for? Serrated edge. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Very aggressive in his uh, pursuit of what is true. Yes. But yet again, I mean, there was everything about, you know, if you, as you love one another by this, you'll know, they'll know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Yes. Right. And so we see that, but again, what does it look like to truly love your brother? Paul you know, talks truth, about yeah. it. James talks about it. You know, if if some one of you wanders away from the truth and you go and you convince them, you know, you have saved your brother. You've brought them back in. You have to be able to go out and let people know you have to speak truth. We speak yes. truth in love, but truth has a serrated edge. Serrated edge. I love that that yes. terminology. Um, yeah, it's uh, the the scripture is. Uh, if your brother is caught in sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently, but watch yourself or all be, you also may be tempted. It also, you know, it's a uh, scripture like second Timothy, you know, where it talks about all scripture is God breathed and profitable for teaching, correcting, rebuking, training in righteousness. Like that's right. why we have the scripture. Matthew seven talks about judging with righteous judgment Um, You'll know a tree by its fruit, like those scriptures. The reason that those scriptures are ignored and the others are constantly repeated is because those scriptures are a benefit of self, right? right? If I tell somebody, if I tell the Christian, you know, aren't you, you're not supposed to judge, you're you're not supposed to judge. um, Well, then it puts the pressure, it takes the pressure off me and it, and it puts it on you you know, for your, for your judgmental, uh, attitude. But as you said, I mean, Jesus was serrated edge to those who claim to be religious, but weren't, but weren't right. So that Absolutely. should be an example to us as those who are claiming to be followers of Christ, uh, and are claiming the name, like right. how did Jesus deal with these people how how did he deal with those in the church i mean jesus is he is graceful but he is also just and justifier he cares about his law um so if we are teaching in the church if we're neglecting law well jesus says don't don't think that i came to abolish the law any of you who teaches the least any of these to uh not obey the least of these commands will be called least in the kingdom of god like right this is serious. You know, this yeah. is a serious thing. Jesus said, if you love me, obey my commandments. Right. You, you know, and, and again, it, that leads into the whole long 
discussion of legalism and, you know, you, you can get into theonomy and, and stuff like that. But the reality is, is to say, if you love me, keep my commandments is not legalistic. It's literally Jesus is saying, here's the deal. I'm going to the cross to pay the penalty for your sin. And so yeah. you can repent and you put your faith in the work that I've done on your behalf that will save you. But then what then what then? You know, do we could just go on sinning? Well, no, Paul tells us that's that's foolishness. It should right. not be so. We don't sin just so grace can abound. We now we are grateful for the sacrifice that was made on our behalf, and we live for him, which means we do everything we can to keep his commandments. Do Amen. we slip up? Do we fall? Do we sin? Well, yes, we're still human and we're in the flesh, but that's not an excuse to sin. You cannot right. take grace by force. You have to understand that, that this is what Jesus said. And there's, again, the fact that people will ignore that to just glob on to the judge not lest you be judged. And it's like, right. that's all that was ever said in any of the Sermon on the Mount was was that one line and it's like right. man go back and and let me my pastor pastor brian right now is is like six seven sermons deep into the sermon on the mount yeah right? and uh and there's so much more in there but and and even in that sermon on the mount even after you get through the the judge not lest you be judged where jesus is talking about you know if your eye is dark your whole body is dark the eye is the window to the soul the eye is yeah. the light of the body and if your eye is dark your whole body is dark yeah. and jesus is making it very clear that you need to be working towards good works yeah and that means we're abolishing the sin and it's because what you said he is just and the justifier of those who have faith in christ yeah. I think it's Psalm 95. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. I could be wrong on the reference. It's Psalm 90 something. Um, <laughs> well, I love what you said there uh, early on when you, we, we went to the root, right? You went to the root of it. And when you said, if you love me, Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commands. And I think the problem, one of the problems that we have in the characteristics of the hippie Jesus that a lot of these churches are propagating is love is merely an emotional feeling right. in which we embrace people with hugs and we um, are kind to them and we uh, just really have like a, a loving, joyful attitude toward everything, not 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 just those in the church, not, but everything. And the problem is, is that love is not merely an emotional thing. Love is not merely going to someone and giving them a, a hug and telling them that it's, it's going to be okay. Uh, love, the scriptures tell us in Romans, love abhors what is evil and clings to what is good. Love hates what is evil. Love clings to what is good. Love does no wrong to a neighbor Love doesn't steal from or covet a neighbor. Like love doesn't sin against a neighbor. So if you are sinning, actively sinning, and you're not looking to turn from it, well, then you're not truly loving God and you're not loving your neighbor. So you're doing nothing loving by biblical standards. You're, you've created this emotional appeal uh, of love 
and you're saying, oh, we don't need to worry about actions. Let's just right. emotionally love one another. Right. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're ignoring the fact that, that love means you call your neighbor to repentance. Because the reality is, is what we look at scripture, it is appointed once for man to die and then judgment. And there's going to be, it's heaven or hell. Right. Those, the, there's no, sorry, Catholics, there's no purgatory. <laughs> there's no, you know, sorry, Mormons, there's no three levels of heaven. And not everybody gets there. We're not universalist. This is not what the Bible teaches. It is heaven or hell. And, and amazingly enough, uh, I'll give you a quote from, of all people, Rick Warren, way back mm -hmm. in the day before he went completely squishy. Um, but in his 40 days of purpose, there's an intro video. I did this way back in the day. We did the 40 days of that book. We got through, I don't know, 34 days of it before we were like, we can't do this anymore. But um, in the introduction video, he talks about evangelism and stuff like that. And he basically says, if you're not willing to call your, your neighbor to repentance, if you're not willing to share the gospel with them, you're literally telling your neighbor to go to hell. Right. This, I mean, this is the, the, the truth. Love does not tell your neighbor to go to hell. Love means we look at our neighbor. We, we see what Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount. You know, first deal with the plank in your eye. Yeah. If, if you and I are in a, in a situation where we're both dealing with sin, I as a Christian and you as a Christian, we should consider our sin to be the bigger issue because it's a plank. Right. And so we deal with Agreed. that. Well, how do yeah. we deal with that? We repent. We put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ. That's how we deal with all sin. Right. Once we have done that, now we can see clearly the Bible says, Jesus says, to help your brother with the speck in his eye. Now right. that you've repented of your sin, you've dealt with your sin. Now we are instructed by Christ yes. to judge and help our brother with the speck in his eye. And it's also, it's also an attitude, right? It's an attitude that we're to have when we come to our brother to let him know about the speck in his eye. Right. It's, I don't come to him from a high and mighty position, right? I come to him as a brother in Christ, knowing that I have somewhat of a plank because I'm still struggling with sin. I have a plank in my eye and I'm going to my brother in the hopes that he would be restored. So if, if I'm coming to him from an ivory tower and looking down on him and saying, you shouldn't do this because it's sinful. Well, that's, there's a different, there's an attitude, right? right. The scripture that I, I, I said before, uh, if your brother is caught in sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently or watch yourself or you may also be tempted. The idea there is, I need to be coming to my brother in love. And there is a judgmental way that I can come to him if I'm not coming to him hoping that he is restored in the faith. That is the watch yourself or you also may be tempted. Like I could be angry, just angry at him and not hoping. And, and you know, I do that a lot. <laughs> I do that a lot. Exactly. You know. Yeah. And, and it's the reality. And another place where Paul talks about um, in uh, what I first Corinthians five, I had it here a minute ago and then I just left it, let it go. Um, You're talking about the, the person in the church. 
Yeah. And so, you know, again, dealing with, with those and all of these things that Paul is talking about, all these, these situations where Paul is saying, you know, he says, I wrote to you in my letter, not to associate with the sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers and idolaters. Since then you would need to go out to the world. But now I'm writing you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother. If he is guilty of sexually immoral, sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. Yes. But again, this and the scripture where it talks about going to your brother gently. Yeah. Both of these are are scripture that are uh, inspired by God. God breathed good for correction, rebuke, teaching, all the things that Timothy, that Paul tells us in Timothy that scripture is good for, but they both come from the reality that there is a judgment. Yes. And coming back to the whole issue of the, the hippie don't judge Jesus. This is not the Jesus. Obviously this is not the Jesus that Paul or James or Peter believed in, in the, the many different places where they all talk about restoring the sinful brother or the brother who has wandered off. It's because there is judgment. Yeah. And again, then we can come back to the whole thing of sharing the, the evangelism and sharing the good news with the world. Again, those things, those sins that are out there have already been judged. So right. we spend a lot of time at abortion clinics. So I, and I've, I've said it as I've preached out there, I'm not here to bring the condemnation upon you. It's right. already there. Yes. You know, John 318 already says those who do not believe are condemned already. Right. So the condemnation is there. God has judged what it is that is happening inside the doors of that place. Or if it's the strip club where, you know, Pastor Zach and them go and do their preaching, yeah. or if it's out on the street at the gay pride parade or whatever it is, God has already judged those things. We do it because there is a judgment. There is yeah. a time that will come appointed once for man to die and then judgment and people will be not faced to face with you know a jesus that is the hippie jesus but they're going to be faced with the revelation 19 jesus who it says um let me get there then i saw heaven opened and behold a white horse the one sitting on it is called faithful and true in righteousness he judges and makes war his eyes are like the flame of fire and on his head are many diadems and he has a name written that no one knows but himself he is clothed in a robe dipped in blood and the name of which he is called is the word of god the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen pure and white were following him on white horses from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations and he will rule them with an, a rod of iron. He will yeah. tread the winepress in the fury of the wrath of God almighty on his robe and on his thigh. He has a name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Yes. Uh, yes. And I love that you read that and it goes right in too with, if you start reading through Psalm or you start reading through Isaiah, like, that, that's we're, we're talking about Jesus in a lot of these scriptures. And, and, and it's saying all enemies will be underneath my feet. Psalm 110 one. What does that, what does that mean? Truly it Kings, when they conquered uh, a nation, they would literally take the King and they would lay him down 
and the king would stand on his on his head on his neck and it was a symbol of a defeated enemy and it's saying Jesus will put all enemies I mean you you go you go through some of those scriptures it talks about Jesus uh crushing the the teeth of his enemies and them falling out of their head like god god is not merely uh a loving god that just approves everything he also hates a lot of things you know proverbs 6 talk there's a list of things that god hates 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 he hates the the shedding of innocent blood right he hates those who cause division within the church but here's the thing if we are keeping our mouth closed when it comes to sin and we're calling Jesus this hippie that just, you know, talked to the woman at the well and gave her grace. Well, what did he say before she left? (laughs) Go and sin no more. Right. Right. And tell everybody. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, Jesus went, I mean, the, you, the, the woman at the well, he, he's sitting there. She comes out in the middle of the day because she knows she's guilty. She's ashamed. So she can't come out with the rest of the people to gather water. You know, of course, she's got to come out in the middle of the day to keep, you know, from being condemned by the people around her. And then she runs into Jesus. And what does he do? It's not like he's just like, oh, it's all OK. He reads her mail. He's like, look, lady, I I know why you're out here. He said, because you've had five husbands and now you're sleeping with a dude that you're not married to. Yeah. Jesus called her out. He did not remain silent on her sin. And she felt and and she felt the weight of her sin, you know. And and so it wasn't that he was just like, ah, you know, go, you know, deal with, you know, just do what he said. Go get your husband. Yeah, he he uh, didn't say, he didn't he didn't say, "Hey, uh, just show up to the church this week and we'll figure yeah. it all out then." Yeah, but, just come and and join us for for our our worship service and our potluck. He's right. like, "Go get your husband." Well, I don't have a husband. You're right. Thank you for being honest with me. You've had 5 and the one the, the dude that you're sleeping with right now isn't your husband. So let's talk, you know, let's just lay out the adultery. I mean, it's literally when you go to, you know, the woman caught in adultery, which disclaimer most manuscripts do not have that portion. I right. think it's Mark eight in there. It's some, a lot of people think it's interpolated, but there is a good principle in there as they brought her to Jesus and he knelt down and started writing in the sand, it says. And a lot of people, when they talk about that, they think that Jesus is writing out like the 10 commandments, adultery, yeah. murder for these men who have brought this woman <laughs> can look down and go, Oh, and then he says, you who's without sin cast the first stone. Yes. Now, so again, and then he tells her, go and sin no more, right? right? And so it's the whole issue of Jesus knows and he's not silent. You know, he's calling people out. Again, when we go back to looking at the, the Pharisees where he called them whitewashed tombs and you brood of vipers and you who killed the, the, the prophets and your father is the devil, you know, all these things are things that Jesus said to these men. And then even to the apostles. I mean, when, when Peter came and said, no, Lord, this, we won't let this happen. What did Jesus say to Peter? Get behind me, Satan. Right. I mean, I, Jesus I, yes. didn't even, didn't even spare his own dudes. You know, he wasn't worried about hurting their feelings. You know, yeah. he said, it talks about when he gives the, 
the thing about communion, he says, you know, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can have no part with me. And thousands of people who were following him mm-hmm. walked away. And then he looks yeah. at the apostles and he's like, are y'all going to leave too? Right. Like, where, where are we going to go? go? Yeah. Where do we go? Because yeah. Jesus never sugarcoated anything. Yes, he is 100% love, but he's also 100% wrath. He's 100% justice and 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 truth and he has yeah. a way the truth and the life it's not i the other day friday after i left the abortion clinic friday morning went and had lunch with my sister and my nephew as we're leaving i'm in the parking lot and there's a homeless guy obviously walking around asking for money but he comes up and he starts talking to me and he asked me what was on my my sweatshirt and i had on one of uh, one of my sweatshirts and it says seek things above um and so we for an hour we start having this conversation and he just keeps coming back to this whole thing that my God is love. My God is love. And I said, that's the problem. That's your God. Right. That's not God. You have fashioned for yourself an idol. You've created for yourself a God to quote Kirk Kennedy in one of his songs. The problem with your Jesus is your Jesus. Jesus. Yeah. That's you good. have made yourself the God. And yes. that's where this, this hippie Jesus comes from. It's because that's what they want to. And you hear so many times people will say, well, my Jesus or my God is this and my God is that. And it's like, okay, well, that's, that's well and good. Let's take a look at what the Bible says about who God is, the God, right. the Christ. Let's it's not talk a, about yours. It's interesting that their God continues to approve things that they do. Isn't that weird? Right. Exactly. Isn't that weird how those at the abortion mill, God approves their abortion. Those at uh, the strip club, God approves their their lifestyle. Those uh, caught in adultery, God approves their lifestyle. It's interesting that all of these things that God approves on are the very thing that they're engaged in that God says is sin. That's interesting. Absolutely. Yeah, it's so, very interesting. And then those of us who are there to tell them, you know, God, this is not what God approves. Well, God hates what we're doing. Get what right. we're doing is sinful. Jesus would never tell do us, that. Right. They're going to tell us how to be Christians. I just posted a meme today, copied a meme from somebody that was like that. Nobody loves to tell you uh, how to be a Christian more than someone who isn't a Christian. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's good. Yes, that is good. And yeah. So no, the, nope. Yeah, that's the reality of it. It's it's their God approves of everything they do and completely disapproves of everything that we are doing if we're there to call them to repentance. I, I love that you brought up uh, the the woman caught in adultery. John, that's John eight. John eight. Um, yes, John eight. I love that you brought that up because I that reminds a story. Uh, the the rapper Cannon. Um, you know, being a hip hop artist, I, I follow other hip hop artists and watch what they post at different times. I've since stopped doing it because I just can't handle it anymore. Right. But um, so Cannon posted a picture with some artist and literally like his the name of him was like some demon name. And he has like six, six, six tatted. And he's like posting the picture of him and this guy. Um up on his Instagram and like a lot of people, a lot of Christians are like, why are you using your platform? Like, why are you posting this guy's picture that you took with him on your Instagram? (laughs) And his only response, you know, later in a post was he who is out without sin cast the first stone. So I was like, I was like, okay, I need to do a little more research on this. The he who is without sin cast the first stone. 
because that is like the token uh Christian in quotations argument when you are calling somebody out on their sin. Well, what what he was out well, let's let's analyze this a little bit. So if you read any of Leviticus, uh it talks about if someone's in in caught in adultery, the proper method for judging that person for for stoning that person is the person who saw her engaged in adultery, which is something very hard probably to see because that would be a very intimate thing to walk in on. Um, That person and somebody else, because in the Bible, we have to have two or three independent witnesses to have a, a proper charge brought against somebody. Those people have to be together and bring a charge against the woman caught in adultery and the man caught in adultery. So at this story, what, what Jesus is saying is he's not saying, Hey, if you only those of you who've never sinned, you start throwing stones. What he's saying is you who saw this woman personally caught in adultery you're the one supposed to bring the charge against her. And they're actually the ones who are supposed to start the stoning. Right. Okay. But here's the flip side of how God has created uh, biblical law. On the other side, if those witnesses are seen, if their stories aren't correct, well, whatever charge they're bringing against someone, whatever the penalty is for that, it's to be done to them. To them. Yeah. So if, if they're saying this woman is caught in adultery, I saw it, I was there, she needs to be stoned to death. If they're found in a lie, well, then they get stoned to death. Right. So Jesus is saying, okay, you, you, you saw this woman in adultery. You who saw her, you throw the first stone and no one did. Right. And they all began dropping their stones and they were they were convicted because none of them saw her and they knew that if they were found out to be a liar that they would be stoned right, right. so it wasn't like you got, none of you here are not sinners so you cannot stone this woman who's caught in sin there was there wasn't enough proof to bring that charge against right. her right exactly i mean when we break down and we look at the law Again, every any person who was executing what the law said to do was guilty of sin. Right. Every single one of them. I mean, yep. every priest, every patriarch, every person who was given the authority to execute the law. So, you know, and all the things in the law that, that required death, a rebellious teenager, um, you know, one who was caught in adultery, all these different things, a murderer, any of those things that required a death penalty, whoever executed that death penalty also had sin that they were guilty of. <laughs> exactly. So that's the reality of it. And Jesus, again, he's he's taking that and he's he's flipping it on his he- its head and going, here's the deal. And, and as you've studied this, and I've heard of a, a slightly different take on it in the sense that if these men literally caught this woman in adultery, they likely set her up. Oh yeah. One of the men in that group was the one having sexual relationships with her who should have also been down on the ground facing judgment. 
Sure. But yes. Yeah. Not. Where's the man? Yeah. Where's where was the, man? the man? Where's right. the man? If you've caught these people in adultery, you're, you're missing uh, 50% of the party. Right. And so either one of you did it or you set her up or all these things. And again, but it, it's not Jesus saying, you know, okay, the perfect person, it's Jesus saying, you're setting this thing up. This right. is, this is a, the, and then again, Jesus says to the woman, go and sin no more. It's yeah. not the, the judgment less Christ who says, well, I don't care what you do. Go back to, you know, Hey, let me walk you back over to the brothel, yeah. you know, yeah. and you can, you know, continue to, <laughs> you know, do what it is. No, Jesus is, this is not it. He, and, and he didn't say, well, let's go have lunch. You know, right. You know, the, the whole thing that they, they love to throw out Jesus had, he ate with sinners and tax collectors. Yes, he did. And yep. he called them to repentance. Yep. This, every single situation where you see Jesus eating with a tax collector or a sinner or anything else, there is a call to repentance. You know, Zacchaeus, the whole issue with yeah. him, you know, Jesus says, I'm coming to eat at your house tonight. And then Zacchaeus repents and he says, I'm going to give back and all this stuff. It is the change that Jesus brings about. And it is the call to repentance. He does not leave them as sinners. Yes. And again, and in order to do that, there is judgment that is happening. And yes. Jesus is the chief because he is the judge. He is the one that in the last days, Matthew, is it Matthew 7? Or Matthew 24. I always forget. It's either Matthew 7, 24 or Matthew 24, where Jesus says, you know, where they come to him and say, Lord, Lord, did we not do these things in your name? And he's going to say to them, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. Matthew 7. Yeah. Matthew 7, 24. Yeah. And so or it's 21 through 24, somewhere in there. Yeah. So he says, Jesus is literally going, I am going to judge. It is appointed once for man to die, then judgment. And here's the deal. There are people who believe they are Christians who are following after this false Christ that doesn't care what they do. That is all approving of their sin and their, their particular issues that he has no problem with, but they're going to approach him on that day and say, Lord, did we not do this stuff in your name? Didn't we tell people not to judge? Didn't we tell people to be nice and be loving? Didn't we do all this stuff in your name? And he's going to say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. Right. Yes. You know, yeah. Judgment is there. Yes. And it's, it's serious, not just for the individual church member who goes to another brother or goes to someone who's a professing brother and says to them, but it's also uh, detrimental to the church body as a whole. I recently went to, um, in Oklahoma, the, um, abolition day mm -hmm. and, you know, they, they were talking, some of the, some pastors came and spoke at it and they said, you know, the reason that a lot of these legislators who claim to be Christian are continuing to allow babies to die is because their churches aren't practicing church discipline and the table is still open to them. Right. They they are unwilling to call out sin in their church, so their church members just think anything goes. But right. the Bible, the Scripture talks about the the church having the keys, right, to to throw somebody out, right? right. They 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 throw somebody out, and that has like the Ex word talks about expelling them and Expel giving hand them over to Satan. Right. Right. Give them over to him. The hope is that they return. But without uh, without the threat of the church doors closing on you and then putting you out, 
I mean, right. I know that concerns me that if I mess up, like I'm going to have to stand before my church because they're going to hold me accountable for my sin. That's another hot coal on the fire that I'm trying to avoid. Exactly. Exactly. And it's the, it is the lack of church discipline. The church has become, and, and there it's this, again, it's this slippery slope that people have, wow, I can't believe I'm actually, I'm going to try to quote Carmen who passed away this week. Um, those of you who know, know, uh, who Carmen is. Do you know who Carmen is? I tell don't. me, please. Oh my gosh. I'm so old. So Carmen is a guy, a Christian musician, kind of a spoken word rap artist. And do you talk to anybody who's like really old CHH, like pre DC talk days Okay. there, what they were allowed as Christian rap was Carmen. So okay. look him up, but he does some stuff, but I, I can't, I'm not going to quote him exactly right, but he basically says the, the fact that Christ was crucified no longer causes us to be emotional. I can't remember the way he says it, but we've lost our emotion in the crucifixion of Christ. We read it and we see it and we, we fail to understand that what, what was happening to Jesus as he was being crucified. He was enduring the full wrath of the father on our behalf, the wrath of God and his hatred for sin was poured out on Christ on the cross because of sin. And yeah. if you, and so again, if you don't think your sin is of any significance, all you got to do is look to the cross because if your sin is, is meaningless, if there's no wrath for your sin, then Christ died in vain. Then there was no reason right. for Jesus to die. And because we've lost the, the emotion that that should cause in us, we should look to the crucifixion. I mean, we should look to the crucifixion the way that it's portrayed in the movie, The Passion. I mean, as far as movies and presentations of, of Christ and his crucifixion, that probably comes the closest, but is probably nowhere near what happened to Christ in the being, being yeah. flogged, the 39 yeah. lashes, the carrying of the cross, to walking to, to Golgotha, being crucified up and down the, the, just the, the torment that he endured yeah. because of sin. It was for no other reason than because of sin. And because a lot of the church has lost that attitude and lost the, the emotion that should be drawn from that, then they have a wide open communion table. Right. For sinful people to come to the communion table and, and I kind and of, file um, it. <laughs> right. I years back, a couple of years back when Rachel held Evans died, I, yes, I trolled a dead person on, on, on Twitter because when she died, I made the comment that, and I quoted the scripture that where Paul says that those of you who take partake of the Lord's supper in an unworthy manner, that is why some of you are sick and some of you have even died. It is mm -hmm. because, and the church is guilty of allowing that. Whoever right. was Rachel Held Evans' pastor is guilty of the fact that she may have died because she was taking communion unworthily. Right. You know, other people, I mean, there's an, another openly gay woman who has become very vocal about uh be gay and being a gay Christian, Vicki Beeching. She was a worship leader, be, was becoming very well known in the vineyard. That's how I know her. And so when I saw that she had come out, uh, uh, you know, I 
constantly was calling her to repentance on on Twitter, calling her and and making comments and stuff like that. And then she became very, very ill. And many times I said, you need to stop taking communion because this is why you're getting sick. Paul even tells you, you're yeah. taking communion in an unworthy way. And this is why you are getting sick. And some of you are dying because you are do not. And the church is not guarding. They're not fencing that table. Yeah. You know? And now granted, there are times that we may not know, but sure. there are people, I mean, people who are becoming very vocal about, you know, just anti-Christian, anti-biblical things like Rachel Held, Held Evans did, like Vicki Beeching, you know, this, these other gay Christian artists or whatever. Is that the one who's number one on the charts right A- now? Apparently, yeah. Some, <laughs> some female is openly gay, trans, something number one yeah. on the, the Christian billboard yeah. charts, which is ridiculous. But is her pastor still allowing her to partake of communion yeah. because those elders in that church are just as guilty, right? Just as guilty as the person who is partaking it. If they know that this person is in sin and they are allowing it. Yes. Yeah. And it's a serious thing. You know, um, the church has a lot of responsibility and the, a lot of these people who are being put in positions of shepherd, they're coming into this role with the title and the excitement, not understanding the uh, severity of the role that they've been put in and how God is going to hold them accountable to that. I mean, there, there, there's, I mean, I see my pastors and the things that they do and the things that they have to deal with in calling out sin. And I'm like, man, there is constant conflict as a pastor, right? Right. Because there's always sin to deal with. There's always conflict. There's always things within the body uh, that you have to deal with. And as a shepherd, a shepherd of your flock, there's going to be things in, in that herd that, uh, that become issues that you need to take care of. There's going to be sickness. There's going to be all kinds of things, but see the, the problem is that people are, they're excited by a title and they're thinking that church churches are businesses. Churches right. have become the business of church where a title is just the same as the executive, the person who's showing initiative and willing to serve. Well, that's the next pastor of this church. That's the next right. youth minister. But the problem is the problem is, is that, if you're if you're serving a God that never calls out sin, that never uh, that never has a quarrel or an issue with somebody, well, then you're one. You're serving a God that cannot save, and you're serving personal comfort rather than true biblical true biblical principles. Right, and and exactly. And here's the deal: as a pastor, I would say if you have never turn somebody away from the waters of baptism or turn somebody away from the communion table. One of two things, either you just are not paying attention and you're not willing to actually defend the sacraments of the church, or you are a very, very good pastor who has handled everything in your, your flock and uh, has done church discipline enough so that the people who know that they're not allowed to take communion do not get to take communion. And those people have been disciplined and you've talked to them and so on. And so those are the two things, but the reality is, is there is enough sin. I mean, I personally, I have had people come up who 
you know, just, I want to be baptized days that we've done baptisms. I've done it at least once where people have come up and said, I want to be baptized. And as I said, okay, here's the deal. Do you believe Jesus died for your sins? Blah, blah, blah. And in com- and conversing with them realized that, and it was a young child that you're not in a place yet where you should be baptized. You're not that you don't understand what this is. Come back later. Right. And so, and then again, as a pastor, I mean, I've stepped out of being an elder in my church, so I'm not in that place of knowing exactly what's going on, but our pastors stand at the table of communion and, you know, as they are dealing with different sins in the church and stuff like that, I don't know if they've had to do it, but I know that our elders would do if somebody came up who is under church discipline or is, is known to be in sin and came to take communion, they would not give it to them. Right. They would say, you know, step along, step aside. Yeah, and yeah. and those who fear the Lord, and that that's what it really comes down to is the hippie Jesus has has rose up to become the the God of so much of the American church and the comfortable American church that they don't fear him, you know, to the point that people will wear a t-shirt that says Jesus is my homeboy. Yeah. You know what? Jesus says that he calls me friend, but I still call him Lord. Yeah. And you will see that throughout scripture that anytime, you know, Jesus is talking about, you know, friends of being friends of sinners, they all still call him Lord because there is a recognition. Even John, who, you know, in, in through the throughout the gospel of John, who called, referred to himself as the disciple that Jesus loved, a little prideful there, John. Okay. Mm. Um, but, you know, and he at, at the Last Supper, he says he leaned his head back against Jesus's chest. So here is, I mean, the, the intimacy of friendship that these two had, but yet John still, when in, in Revelation, when it says he was faced with, you know, the, you know, the song, mercy me song, I can only imagine what would I do? Will I stand in your presence or, or to my knees? Will I fall? John has laid that out for us. He fell down as if dead when put in the, the presence of the resurrected Lord. Mm. We call him Lord and there should be a fear of God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And when you've lost that, that's when you go down that slippery slope to the hippie Jesus that doesn't care what you're doing, that just wants you to love each other and, you know, and be, and be squishy and, you know, evangelifish. Yeah. You know, again, it's that, that is where it is lost. The fear of the Lord, the fear of judgment. And I think some of that comes from the fact that, again, we've lost the emotion of the cross. We've lost the the intensity of what Christ endured on the cross. It's become just another Sunday school story that we breeze past when we read through scripture, and we have lost the fear of God in it. And so what there there's no fear of judgment. Right. You know? Yeah. Again, there's no fear of of being stoned or being, you know. Killed. And, and part of that comes from what the gospel is. I mean, we do no longer in this day and age, we don't execute those who are gay. Right. Why do we not, as those in the church, why do we not put them to death? Because Jesus endured the wrath of God on the cross, and now they have an opportunity to repent. Yeah. And so we don't put them to death. Now, depending on crimes that may be committed, the government has that right and wields that sword and does those things that should be done. And yeah. we should be trying to bring about laws that institute those things. Yeah. 
it, that's another episode in and of itself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But the reality is, and I think I just completely lost my train of thought is that without the fear of judgment, you know, we kind of lose the fear of the Lord. And so, you know, we sit, there's an attitude that, well, because we're not actively executing these people because of these sins, well, then they must be okay. Right. Well, no, Jesus died for that. Right. And we don't recognize the weight of that statement enough to go, my sin put him on the cross. And people are just like, ah, eh, well, you know, I can do whatever I want and then we'll deal with it after I'm dead. There's yeah. no fear of the Lord before their eyes. And here's a shameless plug to one of my songs, Edition versus Submission, which you can get on American Holocaust, the album. But, uh, you know, the idea is that instead of coming to Jesus to die, to take up your cross and follow him, to leave the old self behind, Jesus now is a sprinkling that you join your Christ, you that makes life more flavorful. The salt of Jesus, we sprinkle it on our lives to make life more flavorable, to make, to join Christian clubs, to go to Christian concerts, to, to know that I have the magic get out of jail free card because I repeated mm -hmm. a prayer one day. Jesus now is a topping on our lives that make our, give our lives a little more meaning, but don't ever cause us, cause a change within us. Right. And, and that is the, when we add Christ to our lives versus submitting to him as Lord, right? which is exactly right. what you're saying. He is not merely my buddy that I just have no concern of. He is my dad who, who can discipline me, who can, you know, come down on me. He, who he loves, he disciplines. He's, he's dad and yeah. he's, he's all powerful. He's the almighty God. He has the power to pronounce the second death. He, his judgment, like you said, is on us now. Um, and either you're, you know, under his wrath or you're under his grace, one of the right. two. Right. Yeah. Sin has to be atoned for. Sin has to be, there's going to be a punishment for sin. So you've got to realize it's either going to be on you in eternity, cast into the lake of fire. Don't fear those who can destroy the body, but fear him who can cast body and soul into hell. Right. Who can destroy body and soul. Fear him. So it's either you're going to stand before God and have to give an account for every word, every deed, everything you have done. And then you're going to have to try to, you know, you're, and the thing is, you're not going to be able to be like a lawyer in a courtroom. You don't get to argue when right. it comes to that point in time. It's done. Yeah. Pointed Your mouth will be closed. To die and then judgment. You are you are separated or your punishment was put on Christ 2000 years ago on the cross and paid for completely. And yeah. again, that should cause us to have a huge healthy fear of Christ because he took the penalty for our sin. And so, yes, that means that he's faithful to forgive us of our sin and he forgets our sin, different verses in the Bible that say those things, but yet He's now at this point, we should be so affected by what has been done that now we are saved to do good works. We want to 
if you love me, obey my commandments. Yes. If you truly love what Christ has done for you, then it's time to obey the things that he has commanded. And if you're not going to do that, if you still are trying to serve two masters, if you're trying to serve God and money, you know, this is the, the dude that I'm dealing with. We talked about before this, this rapper who claims to be Christian, who, who took the name of Jesus and, and literally did what we talked about earlier. Your Jesus. The problem with your Jesus is your Jesus. He changed right. his name to Mises. That's pretty fitting. M-E-S-U-S, Mises. Now, now I'm the Jesus that I want you to present to you. And he doesn't want to, you know, he's, every song that he does is just filth and, and foul language and F this, F that, fingers up, innuendo, just horrifying, disgusting stuff. But yet he's claiming to represent Christ. And it's like, where do we get to see Jesus in any of that? You don't love him because you're not, don't, you're not willing to keep his commands, but you love your career and the money you make off of this stuff so much that you're willing to walk in that and not serve God. And you need to be concerned because there is judgment for those whose God's name is defiled because of you. Absolutely. God's name, name is brought blasphemed because of yes. Me. Yes. And if it is be afraid, <laughs> be afraid, be very afraid. Yeah, yeah. There has got to be a fear of God. And that's when we have to recognize who God is, that, that Jesus is not only that the one who, who dipped his, his bread into the cup with the same man that betrayed him, but he's also the man that is going to execute judgment on Judas in the final right. day. Right. Right. And for, for those Christians out there who are hearing this, or those who are professing to be Christians who are hearing this, that are continuing to practice sin without any conviction, without any repentance, using, using language to say, uh, don't only God can judge me or just blowing off what we're saying. Listen, listen, It doesn't matter what I feel. It doesn't matter what I think. The only thing that matters is God's word and his truth. First John two, three verses, uh, three and or two and three say, if you claim to know God, but you go on practicing sin, that the truth is not in you, you will make yourself out to be a liar. So this is God telling you, God's word telling you that if you go on practicing sin, that you are a liar and you don't know God. That should concern you because you may be breezing through life, living it, living life however you want, thinking that things are okay because you said a prayer once or you go to church on Sundays, you're hiding in, a, an, in some church. But God says... That if you go on practicing sin, that you that you don't truly know him Amen. and you need to get on your face. You need to repent of your sin. You need to turn from your wickedness. Hopefully that spirit of God is convicting you in this moment and you truly repent of your sin. You come to the cross. You come to Jesus to die to your personal desires and you worship and serve Jesus as your Lord and Savior, knowing that he gave up much for you, much for his people. And don't wait one more minute to do that. And if you're at that church that allows you to continue living that way, 
leave that church immediately and go find a biblical church, hopefully a reformed church that is going to hold you accountable to the word of God and that puts the word of God above the pedestal of pastor or the pedestal of deacon. That is where you need to go. Right. Amen. Can't really add anything to that. If, if, If your attitude is only God can judge me, you have to stop and examine that statement. God will. And it is judging. To say only God can judge me doesn't mean God's not going to judge you. That should be, that should instill far more fear into you because God's judgment is far more fearful than anything my judgment can bring to you. Right. So if, if you're going to say only God can judge me, understand God is going to judge me. Jesus said to what you were just talking about, take up your cross, deny yourself. Deny yourself. And so many people ignore that statement from Jesus. And they think instead of deny yourself, Jesus just says, indulge your flesh. That is not what he said. Take up your cross, die to yourself, deny yourself and follow him. And if you're not willing to do that, you're not worthy of him. Yeah. Count the cost, Jesus tells us, right? Count the cost of following me because it's not an easy thing. It's not for, for the faint of heart. It's not for those who are just going to breeze through life. We're going to have persecution. We're going to have hardship. But the good news is, is that we have Christ. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. He is with us to the end. But if you're going to Christ just to add flavor to your life, to get a get out of jail free card someday, then then this walk isn't for you. It's not. You, you need to you need to examine yourself. You need to work out your faith with fear and, and trembling and get on your face and, and count the cost of following Christ. Because it's better, on, I mean, it, it's better to know where you're, you stand than to pretend and think that you're saved and you're not. And, and both of those people are going to end up in the same place, but really, truly examine yourself, right? Examine your walk with God, test your life against what the scriptures say, don't just repeat slogans, right? Right. Don't repeat those pithy slogans. Amen. Amen. Well, thanks for the conversation, brother. And um, I'll say this, those of you who may be convicted or feel judged by what we've said, I hope that you turn from your sin and that you don't concern yourself more so with what I what I feel or what you feel, but you go to the word of God and you examine the scriptures and you look for yourself to see if what we're saying is true. And if it is, and you've examined yourself and the spirit is convicting you, don't, don't waste time, make changes now. And let me say this too, I'll end with this. Living a moral life will also not save you. It's not morality. It's faith in Christ, and he will work out the things within you. Living a moral life will also not save you. This You can go to many scriptures for that. We're not saved by our works. We're saved by grace alone. So go to Jesus, cry out to him, get on your knees, and um, get in a Bible teaching church, not just a church 
that says they care about the Bible, but has never mentioned sin in one of their services. Amen. And as we always end this show, Proverbs 24, 6 says, surely you need guidance to wage war and victory is won through many advisors. Very much uh, a part of what we just said. We need advisors in our lives that are pointing us to the word of God. Without it, when we seek just ourselves, our own desires, we usually are heading the wrong direction. So this has been my Dusty Marshall and my brother over here. Norm, the master's dog, Dunham. Thanks for tuning in, and uh, see you next time. I don't understand, they don't understand. I'm running with the fam, yeah, I love the fam. And we gon' start a one that's from up above. And they gon' know it's us by the way we love. All my brothers and sisters and all my mothers and fathers. And we gon' worship the Father and we gon' drown in this water. All my brothers and sisters and all my mothers and fathers. And we gon' worship the Father and we gon' drown in this water. Family, family, family. Christ up. One time for my whole family.